This morning's scripture reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 33, through chapter 12, verse 5, and I'll be reading from the NIV translation this morning. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and its paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who is ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The word of the Lord. Knowing, without knowing this, uh, I had titled my sermon, Rhythms of Renewal. At that point in time, I had no idea that your sermon series was um, titled Renew. In the passage, Apostle Paul is himself experiencing a magnificent moment of worship here. And he's inviting us into this rhythm of renewal. I hope to help us see uh, a four-step rhythm of renewal, this familiar passage lays out for us. The passage starts with reverence or worship. It then moves to repentance and living life in the light of God's mercy. It then transitions to renewal. And lastly, it talks about relationship, which makes renewal even more meaningful. So reverence, repentance, renewal, and relationship. Let's start with reverence. The letter to the Romans is perhaps one of the most brilliant pieces of gospel expositions in the Bible. This is how Martin Luther describes it. This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. It's a brilliant piece of work, deep, profound, precisely crafted and powerful in its content. I'm a church planter. I'm also a business journalist and a writer. And I've been writing for the last 24 years. I've just finished writing my first book. It's titled, The Grace of God and the Flaws of Man. Dr. Ravi Zacharias has greatly written the, graciously written the foreword to this book. And having written for two and a half decades, I know how intense and consuming writing can be. 
and to write something as rich and as beautiful as the book of Romans demands great skill and unrelenting focus. I know from experience in the process of writing that when you're deeply engrossed in writing a story or a book, you do tend to get obsessed with it. It's very difficult to emerge out of the narrow confines of one's writing to take a broader look at life. But right in the middle of this letter to Romans, Paul takes a grand pause of reverence and awe before God. He says, wow, the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge are incredible. God's decisions are profound. His ways are high and mysterious, far beyond human comprehension. Paul is awestruck in his worship. He pauses in awe and wonder, adoring God. And as he pauses, Paul allows a profound truth to sink deep into his soul. God is incredibly big. And as men, we are but tiny. Who can understand how God thinks? Who can figure out the mind of God? Paul reminds himself and us. And then he bursts forth into one sentence of powerful worship and deep humility in verse 36. From him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. In that moment, Paul once again dies to himself and becomes alive to God. Paul knew the value and the importance of the reverential pause of awe before God. Paul is showing us a simple truth. The first thing to do to begin the rhythm of renewal is not to do anything at all. The first thing to do to begin the rhythm of renewal is to pause in awe of God. Sadly, we are often simply too busy or honestly too self-obsessed to pause in awe of God who is infinitely greater than us. If we are not frequently enjoying the reverential pause of awe before God, we are perhaps enslaved. We are being held captive by something. Rollo May, an American existential psychologist, defines true freedom as the ability to take a pause. This is what he says. Freedom is the capacity to pause in the face of stimuli from many directions at once. Must sound familiar to those of us living in the city. And in this pause, to throw one's weight behind towards this response rather than that one. If true freedom is the ability to pause in reverential awe of God, are we experiencing this freedom? Unless we pause to revere God, we will be held captive by our very limited selves. Unless we pause to revere God, we will be held captive by the tyranny of everyday life. But when we experience the pause of 
awe and reverence before God. We are freed. Our imagination is enriched and we become better and better for God's glory. Think of the reverential pause of awe before God as a breath of fresh air that a diver comes up for ever so frequently when he's diving for pearls. As precious as the pearls may be under the sea, unless the diver comes up for air, he will die. And so will we, burdened by the unyielding grip of daily life. Our careers, our studies, our pursuit of music, our precious family, even ministry in the church can distract us away from the past of reverential awe before God. Albert Einstein, one of the most brilliant minds humanity has ever seen, understood this. This is what he said. He who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. The pause of reverential awe before God. Without this, our minds will degenerate, our lives will degenerate into a mindless and meaningless grind. When was the last time you passed in reverential awe before God? That's the first thing I wanted to draw for us from this passage. The rhythm of renewal is set in motion with reverence. That brings us to the second step in this rhythm that this passage offers for us. Repentance. The reverential pause of awe before God will inevitably lead us to repentance. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The book of Romans has 16 chapters. The first 11 chapters are a deep and rich exposition of the gospel. And Paul uses the remaining chapters to draw us to respond well to the finished work of Christ on the cross. To respond well to the great and glorious work of Christ on the cross. And our first response to what Jesus did for us, Paul says, is to repent. Is repentance. Our first response to what Jesus did for us, Paul says, is to live in the light of God's mercy. The reverential pause of awe before God will always lead us to repentance. Here, as we stand in awe of the beauty, the glory, the holiness, and the perfection of God, as we gaze at His perfection, we begin to see our imperfections more clearly. We are free to admit our imperfections because God loves us in Christ Jesus. And we have no choice but to accept our, accept our imperfections, to admit our imperfections, because God can see through us in any case. We are free to repent in God's presence. If we are not repenting, we are pretending. Pretending to be okay. Pretending that we have it all figured out. And pretension, as we all know, 
can wear us out? How long can we keep up the act before God and before men? Genuine repentance before God frees us from the trap and the burden of pretension. This passage is calling us to respond to God's mercy. Allow me to reflect for a moment on the mercy of God. The mercy of God must never be seen in isolation of His holiness. The mercy of God pleads for our forgiveness, but the infinite holiness of God also demands at the same time that every sin be punished. If God does not punish every sin, He will cease to be holy and just. So in the light of these twin realities of God's infinite holiness and His tender mercy, allow me to ask us this question. Can God indeed forgive? Can a holy God indeed forgive? The answer may sound self-contradictory. Yes, a holy God can forgive us, but only if all our sins are punished. God can forgive us, but only if every one of your sins and mine are punished. We often tend to think of forgiveness as a one-step process. God forgives us. But in reality, the forgiveness of God is a two-step process. God forgives us only because He punished Christ Jesus every one of your sins and mine when we come to faith in Jesus. Explaining the old, old covenant of the law, the book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is even more true in the new covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus. The full extent of God's mercy towards us comes home to our hearts only when we realize and we constantly remind ourselves that our forgiveness was possible only because Christ was punished. We are forgiven because He was forsaken. We are accepted because He was condemned. It is this deep and recurring and constant realization of God's mercy that compels us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the second step in the rhythm of renewal, repentance. The third thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage is renewal itself. Chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is very interesting. In the beginning of the passage, in chapter 11, verse 34, Paul exclaims, Who has known the mind of God? How can a finite human ever comprehend the mind of an infinite God. 
But here in chapter 12, verse 2, Paul is telling us that when we are renewed, we will be able to test and approve God's will. The process of renewal reveals to us the mind of God. The process of renewal helps finite human beings comprehend the mind of an infinite God. But what is this renewal? How do we experience it? Paul, Paul explains to us, to us this to us in another letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul gives us a simple definition. Renewal is the process by which we are being transformed into his image as we contemplate the Lord's glory. Renewal that transforms us, Paul is saying, happens only when we contemplate on God's glory. Paul is effectively connecting renewal back to the reverential pause of awe before God. Can you see this never-ending and ever-transforming cycle playing out? Reverence, repentance, reverence leading to repentance, repentance leading to renewal, and renewal bringing us back to reverence. This is how the rhythm of renewal unfolds in our lives. Reverence, repentance, renewal, on and on and on. The rhythm of grace unfolds over us, washing away one layer of sinfulness after the other and making us more and more fruitful for God's glory. The rhythm of renewal is most powerful when it is experienced in community. And that's the fourth thing I would like to draw for us from this passage in a couple of minutes. But first, allow me to bring this home to us um, very practically. The Community Bible Reading Journal, the CBR Journal, this is our version of it at New City Church. We enjoy the Community Bible Reading uh, uh, Journal. The simple little tool that people both at Trinity Orange County and at New City Church uh, Mumbai enjoy. This journal is designed to get us walking in the rhythm of renewal every morning. Think of the four boxes of the journal, the responses, the journal, responses to God's word, this journal leads us through. What can I adore God for? That's reverence. What's the sin in my life that this passage that I read just now brings to my light? That is repentance. How can I thank Jesus for salvation? And how can I ask the Holy Spirit to change me? That is renewal. Let me tell you something really cool. All of you at Trinity and all of us at New City enjoy this rhythm of renewal every day through the same passages of Scripture. God is using the same portions of His Word to renew us together. We've been using the Community Bible Reading Journal for perhaps three, I think almost four years now. And I serve as the volunteer director of CBR in India. And I've personally helped 
about 20 pastors of what, 20, pastors of what 12 to 15 churches in India roll out CPR to their congregations. People have been hugely blessed. We printed over 1,000 CPR journals uh, towards the end of December to, to, to help many churches in Mumbai and other cities. And CPR, as we all know, is community Bible reading. And that brings us to the fourth thing that I'd like to draw for us from the passage. Relationship. There's another very interesting thing that Paul is telling us in this passage. Chapter 12, verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul began this passage by calling us to stand in reverential awe of God. And Paul is ending this passage by calling us to stand in humility in our community of believers. Do you see what he is doing here? Paul is calling us to live our lives sandwiched between God and the community of Jesus lovers. The rhythm of renewal isn't complete unless we are also experiencing the inexpressible joy of humbling ourselves and serving one another in community. This is what Christ did. He came as a servant. I'd like to share one more thought on relationships, the fourth step in the rhythm of renewal. Chapter 12, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. The applications of this verse in the context of the local church are pretty obvious. That's not where I am going now. What I would encourage us to consider is this. Each member belongs to all the others. Is this belonging limited only to the local church? Or did God intend this belonging to one another to extend to the global church? Of course, this is meant to extend to Christ's global church. So not only do members of Trinity belong to one another, not only do members of New City Church in Mumbai belong to one another, but all of us also belong to one another because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And it is here that I, I really want to applaud Trinity Orange County. In, in partnering with us in Mumbai, you are living out what Christ died for. He died for his church and you are being the global church. Trinity is, is way ahead of the curve in the way churches think globally. Few churches, very few churches have actually embraced this. 
You know, in my work as a business journalist, I've seen many businesses. And one of the sad reality of the modern day world is this, that businesses are far, far, far ahead of churches when it comes to embracing the reality of a truly global world. The day I left Mumbai to come to Orange County, I had breakfast at McDonald's. At the newspaper I work for, I met an executive from the Rockefeller Foundation who had come to my office to schedule an interview for me with the CEO of Rockefeller Foundation who's going to visit India in February. Later that evening, I packed my clothes in a suitcase made by a Rhode Island company named American Tourister. I took an Uber from my home to the airport. The car Uber sent to pick me up was a Ford vehicle. On my way to the airport, I drove past Trump Towers. Yes, Mumbai has a Trump Towers. At the airport, waiting for my flight, I spent some time on Facebook and Instagram. In one day, eight American companies engaged me. Sadly, businesses are far ahead of churches when it comes to embracing the reality of a globalized world. Whose idea is globalization? Is, this, is globalization a product of the economy and the way companies think? Or is globalization God's master plan in making sure that people from every tongue, every tribe, every land will get to hear the good news? This is one of the reasons I've come to respect and admire Trinity. You are ahead of the curve. In partnering with our church in Mumbai and in inviting me here, you proved that we belong to one another just as Christ intended us to. I'd like to close with one story. The story of Kim Fook. She's better known as the Neplam girl. Uh, there's a picture of her which will come up. It's a very familiar picture. Some call this picture, this photograph, the turning point in the Vietnam War. It also won a Pulitzer Prize. She was photographed with arms outstretched, naked and shrieking in pain and fear with the dark contour of a napalm cloud billowing in the distance. Last Christmas, Kim wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal. Allow me to read a short portion of what she wrote. Those bombs have caused me immeasurable pain. 45 years later, this is December of 2017, last month that she's writing. 45 years later, I am still receiving treatment for the burns, but my heart is 100% healed. My faith in Jesus Christ is what has enabled me to forgive those who wronged me, no matter how severe those wrongs were. Here's my point. Kim is Vietnamese. She is now a Canadian citizen, 
Wall Street Journal, an American newspaper, published her testimony globally. And an Indian church planter from Mumbai read her story online and is now encouraging a congregation in Orange County, California with her words. Jesus, King Jesus, is the head of his global church. We are all members of one body. And we are called by God. We are inspired by His Holy Spirit to enjoy the rhythms of renewal daily as one global community brought together by our faith in Christ Jesus. I am so grateful to God for this beautiful partnership, global partnership between Trinity, Trinity and New City, Mumbai. Let us pray. Father, we come before you in worship, remembering the great sacrifice of Christ Jesus. It is because of what he did on our behalf that we understand what love is. It is because of what Jesus did that we can experience the love of the Father. The love of a father who adopted all of us. And because of his love for us, we are now able to extend this love to one another. Thank you for this privilege of, of worshiping you together, of enjoying the rhythms of renewal together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.